Hey guys, Jovan here, and I'm narrating for you the Superior Court of Arizona Maricopa County case that uh, the Judge John R. Hanna Jr. presided over of uh, Carrie Lake versus Stephen Richter. This was the one that I did my program on this morning. I'm going to narrate it for you and provide any comments from my personal opinion that I can. It might help you understand the judge's decision, which I obviously don't agree with. And there is a PDF version. This is a 12-page document. PDF version that I have attached on Locals that if you want to follow along, you can. Ruling. The court has considered the testimony and other evidence admitted at trial. On September 21st and 25th, 2023, the party's legal briefs and arguments of counsel. For the reasons stated below, it is ordered denying plaintiff Carrie Lake's statutory special action petition pursuant to the Arizona Public Records Law, ARS Section 39-121, requesting an order that would compel defendant Maricopa County Recorder Stephen Richter to allow her to inspect the ballot affidavit envelopes or electronic images of those envelopes from the 2022 general election. It is further ordered directing defendant Richter to lodge a proposed form of judgment and to file any application for cost or attorney's fees that may be appropriate within 20 days of the date on which the clerk issues this order. It means uh, that he gets to, uh, Mr. Richter, gets to make a claim for damages or cost and get a judgment against Carrie Lake. <clears throat> I continue. This is dated November 29th, 2023, by the Superior Court of Arizona, Maricopa County. Findings of fact, background. Arizona law requires every voter who receives a ballot at a place or time other than a polling place on Election Day to return the ballot in a ballot affidavit envelope. Arizona law dictates most of the ballot affidavits envelopes form and content. In its Maricopa County version, the ballot affidavit envelope includes the voter's pre-printed name and address, a piece identification code that uniquely identifies both the voter and the ballot and a return address for the Maricopa County Vote Counting Center. After placing the ballot in the envelope, the voter must sign the envelope before returning it by mail, drop off at an, unauth at an authorized location or personal delivery at a polling place. The signature is a declaration under penalty and perjury that the signer is registered to vote that he or she did not and will not vote more than once, that the enclosed ballot is his or her own and not someone else's. Most voters also put their phone numbers on the envelopes, though they are not required to do so in case election officials need to contact them to verify their identity before counting their votes. I want to give you a definition here at the moment you need to understand. They are saying that the ballot affidavit envelope includes the voter's pre-printed name and address, a piece identification, in quote, codes that uniquely identifies both the voter and the ballot and a return address. This is going to come up in a moment. 
but I want to make sure you very carefully understand the words here. It's basically saying this is the voter, this is where we're mailing them, and enclosed is a ballot, an authorized ballot. It is not a code that says, hey, you can go look up later and find this ballot, because remember, the very moment the envelope is separated from the ballot, it can never be put back together again. So you got to understand, when somebody opens this and looks at it and sees something wrong and they need to remedy it, they have the two pieces together. Once it's accepted, that envelope goes one direction and that ballot goes another direction and can never be put together again. I'll continue. In Maricopa County, the county recorder is legally responsible for the receipt and process of the so-called early ballots that voters return in ballot affidavit envelopes. The office of the Maricopa County Recorder examines the ballot affidavit envelopes in a variety of ways to verify the integrity of the vote before extracting the ballots from the envelopes and sending them out for, out, sending them on for counting. See, this is key. They acknowledge that that ballot comes apart. I'll keep on. The last of these steps, the signature verification is mandated by Arizona law. The statute requires the office of the recorder to compare the signature on the ballot affidavit envelope with exemplar signatures maintained in the recorder's voters registrations database. Again, I need to call it like it is. They are supposed to compare it to the voter registration. This has been polluted over time to say the voter's registration database. That's the misnomer here. They can put any kind of signatures in there. And if they've ever accepted a compromised one, it drops into the file. It basically means if they have a bad signature and then they have the voter registration and it matches closer to the bad signature, they can accept it. This is a big uh, point of contention here of how they corrupt these items because it should be as law, tested directly against the voter registration. But they use this uh, word salad to say voter registration's database. Continuing, if the signatures are inconsistent or if the envelope is unsigned, the recorder's office must make reasonable efforts to contact the voter advise the voter of the problem and allow the voter to correct it. The ballot is not counted unless the signature is timely verified, that means cured, either before the polls close on election day for unsigned envelopes or by the fifth business day after the election for inconsistent signatures. Again, that's the rule. But again, there are thousands with no signatures thousands with not a signature that would even match but they counted them all this is in violation of how they're supposed to do it but i continue separate and apart from the responsibility for early voting the county recorder is also legally responsible for maintaining the voter registration database in maricopa county the recorder creates an electronic image of each ballot affidavit envelope as it is processed after an election. Upon signature verification, in the initial review or through the curing process, 
The recorder stores the electronic, electronic image, image permanently in the voter's registration record along with the voter's initial registration form and other voter registration documents like change of address forms. The image and others like it are then used as exemplars for the signature verification process in the subsequent elections. Again, this is how they legalize the perverting of the signature. Any of these inactive voters, any of these uh, fungible assets that are just added in, bad voters, and they vote them and they scribble, all of those scribbles go in. That's how they make sure it gets around the signature verification process. Because instead of permanently looking at the voter registration, again, they say they get to look at the database and a collection of forms. This means if it's compromised just one time, it is forever compromised. I submit to you that if we could actually look at the voter registration database, you will see not only the original signature of the voter registration card, you will see multiples that have been accepted over time that in no way match the actual signature of the registration. And this is how they do planted corruption in this process to allow these to go through. I'm continuing on. I'm on page three. The 2022 general election cycle and Lake's public records request. During the 2022 general election cycle, the office of the recorder processed some 1.3 million early ballots, about 84% of the total votes cast in Maricopa County. The signature verification required all hands on deck, including more than 40 temporary employees in addition to the recorder's entire 60-person staff. After the initial signature review and a second-level review by a manager, about 16,000 of the signatures on the ballot affidavit envelopes were found to be inconsistent with the signatures in the voter registration database. Working under the statutory five-day deadline, the recorder's personnel undertook to contact each of those 16,000 voters using a script that started with, did you vote? They used non-public information in the voter registration records, the last four digits of the social security number, the mother's maiden name, to confirm that they were speaking to the right people. I want to just add a note here, even though they said they had 40 temporary employees and 60 people on the staff, they actually only have 10 people dedicated fully to curing. And with 16,000 signatures, five days to do it, each person would have had to contact 320 people a day. Yes, 320 people a day to contact completely and verify this information. And... I, in many times, challenge this because they don't turn over this information to confirm it. And I'll give you an example. They said they reached 14,200 of these people to cure their signatures. We never see how they cure a signature. They never show it. They never show it was blank then, but here it is signed. But again, I'm going to continue. They ultimately enabled 14,200 citizens to cure their signatures and make their votes count in the election. 
The remaining 1,800 ballot affidavit envelopes were never opened. Those votes went uncounted. The legal compliance and factual accuracy of the Maricopa County Recorder's signature verification processes are not at issue in this case. That said, it matters as context that Ms. Lake presented her legal and factual case against the Maricopa County Recorder's signature verification process in her election contest earlier this year. The Judge Thompson found by clear and convincing evidence that elections process for the November 8, 2022 general election did comply with Arizona law and there was no misconduct in the process to support a claim under the election contest statute. Uh, under a revised ruling dated May 22, 2023, Judge Thompson's final order denying election contest is now on appeal. Ms. Lake formally asked Mr. Richter to allow her to inspect all 2022 general election ballot affidavit envelopes, including mail-in, early vote, and late early ballot envelopes on March 25, 2023, while the election contest was ongoing before Judge Thompson. Her letter said she was making the request in anticipation of continued litigations in Lake versus Hobbs and pursuant to Arizona public records of law. The recorder's office denied the request pursuant to uh, Arizona statutes. They quoted, in the best interest of the state exception to the Public Records Act, because they contain voters' signatures. On April 25th, 2023, Miss Lake initiated this case by filing her verified complaint for statutory special action to secure access to public records against Mitch Director in his official capacity as Maricopa County Recorder. She asked this court to compel the recorder to disclose the ballot affidavit envelopes from the 2022 general election. <clears throat> I will remind you that what Carrie Lake's asking for here is about 1.3 million uh, signed envelopes, affidavits. In the 2020 audit, which was conducted in 2021, the Senate cooperated and released 1.9 million of these envelopes. So there is precedent. It's been done before. I'll continue. I'm on page four. The facts supporting Richter's detail of public records request. At trial, the recorder presented evidence to explain why, in response to Lake's demand for disclosure of ballot affidavit envelopes, he invoked Section 16-168F and the best interest of the state exception to the public records of law. Again, I'm going to point this out. His attestment is, which is actually a correct fact, it would not be in the best interest of the state to release this. The reason it would not be in the best interest of the state is because it will expose how broken the election system is. And that would compromise the state. Do you get the little loophole here? Miss Lake had a full and fair opportunity to contest that evidence. The following findings are gleaned from the recorder's trial presentation. The recorder uses the private identifying information in his possession, 
including voter signatures, for the purpose of verifying early ballots. As a matter of election administration, the public release of that private information, including voter signatures, undermines the verification process. Once again, I'm going to read to you Arizona statute that is ARS 16168-41166 and 16153. It says, who can request a voter file? And as it says in here, what information does the file contain? Full name, party preference, date of registration, residence, address, mailing, zip code, phone number, year of birth, occupation, voting history, and voting information. Voting history is also uh, part of that database. It also says in that, right, that it can be used for non-commercial purposes as long as they're relating to a political or political party activity, a campaign or election, or for revising elections. Once again, this is part of a process, and at contest here is this was never asked to be made public. That's the problem. It's being asked to be inspected, not made public. It is basically releasing this information to an agent of the parties, in this case, Carrie Lake, which under rules of confidentiality would reply. This has never been about releasing it to the public. So you can see how they're kind of skirting around this. I continue. As a matter of election administration, the public release of that private information, including voter signatures, undermines the verification process. Unauthorized people could use the information to impersonate real voters. Once again, this can be done and should have been done in a secure process and with proper releases and could have easily been done, just like it was done in 2021, but they ignored that. They go on and say, voter impersonation fraud is exceedingly rare at present, in part because it is difficult to scale up that kind of activity enough to make a difference in an election. A key barrier is that potential bad actors have no large-scale source of sample voter signatures from which to create fraudulent ballots that might survive the signature verification process and get counted. The ballot affidavit envelopes from the 2022 election include the signatures of some 1.3 million Maricopa County voters, each conveniently presented in the voter's name, address, and telephone number on the same page. Disclosure of the ballot affidavit envelopes, therefore, would create a risk of widespread fraud where none exist at present. Again, I take exception to this. They're saying that they couldn't release this 2022 information for 1.3 million people, but they could surely do it in 2021 for 1.9 million people. I submit to you that these were already released. And they were already provided. But you've got to remember the loophole here. See, those are 2020 envelopes. And the loophole is, this is a 2022 election. The reason they're holding it back is because they don't want you to compare it directly to the 2022 contest, which is in contest. 
And they know in a court of law, because of latches, you can't use the 2020 data, even though they're predominantly the same. You get the games playing here? The release of the ballot affidavit envelopes would also create a real possibility of voter harassment. Two voter witnesses testified at the hearing that strangers appeared at their homes after the 2022 election asking intrusive questions about who lived in the home, the manner in which they voted, and whom they voted for. Some of the questions, did you receive extra ballots and comments, hundreds of people who were dead voted, and those votes may have come from your house, your neighborhood, showed a belief that fraud had tainted the election. Again, this is the myth of voter harassment by canvassing. Uh, I do not believe that this is an accurate statement. And I think this is something they say uh, to say these people were harassed by because in this case saying somebody got their signature. You see how they're mixing them here? And they say, well, signatures, people can read those signatures. They'll go harass the people again. It doesn't compute back and forth, but this is how they fight it, and this is why they fight it on a harassment issue, because they think everybody's going to be harassed. I continue. The voters testified credibly that they regarded this activity as both an invasion of the privacy of the voting booth and an implicit attack on the integrity of their individual votes. Now, they're talking about somebody coming to their door. However, a signature envelope, number one, has nothing to do with the voting booth and has no way to verify a person's individual vote, whether they cast one or 90 on a ballot. Again, this is just a way to dissemble. I continue. Public disclosure of the ballot affidavit envelopes, most of which include phone numbers that may be non-published or otherwise not readily available to the public would facilitate this kind of offensive behavior at least and turbocharge it at worst. I'm going to remind you if we just went right back to the top of this document and we were reading the top of the document, it clearly says that putting in their phone number is not required. Quote, Page one, most voters also put their phone numbers on the envelopes, though they are not required to do so. Again, this is how much of the disconnect they do. And this is how they use this myth of voter harassment to do this. And they say that it would facilitate this kind of offensive behavior at least and turbocharge it at worst. That, in turn, would have a corrosive effect on the public confidence in the electoral process. Continuing bottom of page four, the witnesses also expressed concern about identity theft. Because our modern economy commonly uses signatures as both a marker of consent and a form of self-identification, The risk that mass disclosure of ballot affidavit envelopes will enable identity theft is both self-evident and significant. But even if that does not happen, the mere perception of risk among 
potential voters like these, especially those who are elderly or otherwise vulnerable, would have serious adverse consequences. Now, putting a pen in it right there, you do understand, just like the Arizona audit was done under supervision, this inspection of signatures, comparing them to the registration card and envelopes, could have been done totally monitored. People could have come in each day. The county could have maintained control of the database of their side, and they could have been vetted and done and documented without anybody leaving there with any data that could compromise anybody else. Again, this is just providing political cover. I continue. One of the witnesses said that she and her husband would hesitate to vote by mail if they thought their signatures might thereby become public records. She expressed particular concern about the potential disenfranchisement of her elderly spouse who cannot vote in person because of his poor health. Recognizing that similar concerns are likely commonplace, Mr. Richter testified that he believes the chilling effect of public disclosure would significantly affect voter participation. Mr. Richter also anticipates that a significant number of voters would try to cast their votes without signing the ballot affidavit envelopes. That development would threaten the ability of the Office of the Recorder to contact each voter and attempt to cure the defective ballots. Now, how would that threaten the ability? If there's no signature, which they do anyway, they call and say, hey, you forgot to sign it, we need your signature. Get it? So would the confusion and mistrust created by unauthorized vote checkers using private telephone numbers to make inquiries like those to the recorder's employees make when curing ballots? Again, voter disenfranchisement would likely result. Again, I want to point something out. They say, so the confusion and mistrust created by unauthorized vote checkers, we're saying this could be done in an authorized process, Now, here's the key. Using private telephone numbers to make inquiries like those in the recorder's employees would make. If we go back up to the recorder's employees, it basically says, after the initial signature view, second level review, uh, they use non-public information in the voter registration records. There you go. That information was never requested. That information was not asked for. So they wouldn't be turning over the super secret non-public information like four digits of social security number, the mother's maiden name, etc. But you see how they convoluted it here. They are saying, well, that could happen. So in their words, going back to page five, So would the confusion and mistrust created by the unauthorized vote checkers using private telephone numbers to make inquiries like those to the recorder's employees make during curing ballots, ballots. again, voter disenfranchisement would likely result. Again, that has nothing to do with this case. That information was not requested. That information isn't the super secret private telephone. Most people don't even put their telephone there if it's super secret because it's not required. Continuing on, 
The court credits Mr. Richter's testimony that disclosure of the ballot affidavit envelopes would create election integrity issues and depress voter participation. I want to point something out. From 2020, when the envelopes with the signatures and the same information was inspected, in 2021, 1.9 million records, I want to go on record that in 2022, even though those records were out there and expected by uh, unauthorized vote checkers, the voting in 2022 was through the roof, the participation was through the roof, and there was no evidence it eroded public confidence with that information being out there, and more than likely, all 1.3 million records were already out there. Again, this is the gobbledygook they covered up with. That knowledge makes Mr. Richter's evaluation of the risk of voter information disclosure authoritative enough, and his predictions about the consequences of disclosure reliable enough to carry substantial weight in the balancing of interest that a contested public records request like this requires. Conclusion of law. Arizona public records law. The parties here agree that ballot affidavit envelopes are public records pursuant to Arizona laws. Ms. Wright's Ms. Lake's right of access to the documents, therefore, is not conditioned on a showing or a court finding that the documents are relevant to anything. When the denial of a public records request is challenged in court, the court must start from the presumption based on the policies underlying the public records law that disclosure of public records is in the public interest. If we took a poll, we would find most people don't trust Arizona voting. And I think if this was done properly, the uh, confidence in the elections would go up, not down, don't you? I continue, bottom of page five. While access and disclosure is the strong policy of the law, the law also recognizes that an unlimited right of inspection might lead to substantial and irreparable private or public harm. Uh, yes, and this is why they asked for a limited right of inspection of just the signatures, but I digress. Thus, a custodian of public records may refuse inspection when the interest of confidentiality, privacy, or the best interest of the state in carrying out its legitimate activities outweigh the general policy of open access. The burden of showing the probability that specific Material harm will result from disclosure, thus justifying an exception to the unusual rule of full disclosure, is on the party that seeks non-disclosure rather than the party that seeks access. Again, case and point here, 1,928,000 signatured envelopes were released from the 2020 election. They were released in 2021. There is only about a 5 to 7% change in that list at any given time. Therefore, the vast majority, 93%, were already provided public access, and nothing eroded the public confidence of that particular sharing. And as a direct result, voting was up 
in 2022. I do, do believe the facts matters, but I also believe that, well, this one was fumbled. I continue page six. The rule does not apply, however, when a statute establishes an exception to the public right of inspection for a specific category of records. Section 16-168F and the public records law. Early in this litigation, the recorder moved to dismiss Ms. Lake's petition on the ground that ARS Section 16-168F prohibits disclosure of the voter signatures contained in the ballot affidavit envelopes. The motion to dismiss was denied because the parties debated whether the ballot affidavit envelopes are voter registration records without offering a clear legal or factual definition of that term. Again, folks, this is where we get clobbered. There is only one voter registration, period. It is titled voter registration. It has always been the voter registration. However, in our corrupt system, they simply added an S. Voter registration records. And that changed the entire scope of everything in there so they could do this. And what it did is it clouded a clear legal or factual definition of the term. And this is how the subversion works. Continuing. Having now considered the matter further, the court concludes that the recorder correctly relied on Section 16168 as a basis for refusing to disclose the ballot affidavit envelopes. As a matter of law, Section 16168 presumptively forecloses wholesale disclosure of the ballot affidavit envelopes to Ms. Lake because they were records containing a voter's signature, and because the recorder, in fact, makes them part, the recorder, get it, the recorder makes them part of the voter registration record and uses them for signature verification in subsequent elections. Do you see the incestuous nature here? Instead of registering a person to vote, and it is that signature which needs to be confirmed by the adding of the S and allowing any signature to be dropped to the file, they can claim that every bit of the file is sacred and therefore every vote version of a voter's signature is sacred and therefore they can't turn them over. Folks, you can have a voter registration record. It's how we all began with our signature. But let's say you don't vote for several years and somebody votes your ballot, your mail-in ballot. All of those junk signatures that never got questioned become part of that file. This is what has corrupted this process. I continue, middle of page six. Section 16168 generally directs the county recorder to create compilations of election-related records for electoral use by political party representatives. Now, I want to point out a word. Section 16168 generally directs. 
generally directs. By using the term generally, and by putting the S on the end of the voter registration record and turning it to records, they are now covering this, quote-unquote, the statute prohibits the use of copulations and other lists and information derived from registration forms for non-political activity, and it assesses the fees for users other than political party representatives. Now, if this is not a political activity in the verification process of an actual election, folks, what is? Subsection F of Section 16.168, the provision at issue here, attempts to limit the dissemination of voter registration information. The relevant portion of the statute says, with emphasis at it, nothing in this section shall preclude, shall preclude public inspection of voter registration records at the office of the county recorder for the purpose prescribed by this section, except that the month and day of birth date, the social security number, any portion thereof, driver's license number, or non-operating identification license number, the Indian census number, the father's name or mother's mating name, the state or county of birth, and the records containing the voter's signature, singular, the record containing the voter's signature, and the voter's email address shall not be accessible or reproduced by any person other than the voter by an authorized government official in the scope of their duties for the purpose by an entity designed by the Secretary of State as a voter registration agency pursuant to the National Voter Registration Act. It basically says it can be done, right? It can be done by an elected official. What's the loophole here? The elected officials don't want to do it. The limitation here, well, it says in the county recorder's office. It's clearly defined that is this is what it's for, but its scope is very narrowed by saying in the office of the county recorder. I submit to you, a very simple desk could be set up at the county recorder's office with people supervising this because it could be automated and done very quickly. Not a single signature would relieve the county recorder's office and it can be done expeditiously and confirmed. But as you can see, the goal is to obstruct, not to verify. It continues to say, for any purpose, by an entity designated by the Secretary of State as a voter registration agency pursuant to the National, Vo- National Voter Registration Act of 1993, Statute 77, for sig- signature verification on petitions, and candidate filings for election purposes, for news gathering purposes by a person engaged in newspaper, radio, television, or repertorial work, or connected with or employed by a newspaper, radio, or television station, or pursuant to a court order. Basically, these can be inspected for many reasons, just not when it comes to trying to verify an election. Notwithstanding any other law, a voter's email address may not be released for any purposes. A person who violates this subsection or subsection E of this section is guilty of a Class 6 felony. 
By its plain terms, Section 16, 168F, is not a source of authority for public access to election-related records. The provision merely affirms the right of public inspection provided in the public records law. What it adds to the public record law is an overlay of special restrictive rules that apply specifically to voter registration information. The legislature has determined that voter registration information should have more protection from public access than other types of information. Accordingly, subsection F establishes parameters within which the records may be assessed while maintaining their status as public records. Here is how it can be done. Number 16. By providing for access pursuant to a court order, the statute affirms the responsibility of the courts for deciding how the public record law generally and the special parameters for disclosure of voter information specifically will apply in individual cases like this one. Folks, 1,928,000 plus records were released in 21. The exact records being asked for here. This is 1.3 million records that greater than 97% are the same exact records that have already been released. And this can be provided for pursuant to a court order. It's very simply put here. The court simply decided not to order it. Bottom of page 7. When construing a statute... A court must attempt to determine and achieve the legislature's intent. They cite the Industrial Commission of Arizona Labor Department versus Industrial Commission of Arizona. That inquiry begins with the language of the statute. The statute here directs that information commonly used for personal identification, including voter signatures as well as social security numbers, driver's license numbers, and the like, shall not be accessible or reproduced except in specific defined circumstances. Put a period there, except in specific defined circumstances. Put a period, go up one paragraph by providing for access pursuant to a court order with special parameters. This canon be done. They just decided not to do it. They go on to say in this same paragraph, it does not limit the scope of that directive. It does not say that such information should be protected when it appears in a voter registration form, but not when it appears on a ballot affidavit envelope. The legislator obviously meant for Section 16168 to protect the privacies of the voters' sensitive personal information. Construing the statute to protect all election records containing a voter signature advances that legislative purpose. Affording protection to voter registration and change of address cards, but not ballot affidavit envelopes, would manifestly defeat the statute's purpose. Number one, I want to let you know... That in that last sentence is very telling, affording protection to voter registration and change of address cards, but not ballot 
affidavit envelopes would manifestly defeat the statute's purpose. Again, I go back to 2021, 1,928,000 of these exact signed and unsigned and questionable envelopes were released. 97% of them will be the same. I would also tell you that it is a matter of public record of every voter dropped from the voter rolls, and it is a matter of every voter through public records that you get their change of address. Although they say they have to protect voter registration and change of address, when all of this information is available and made public by the state of Arizona and the United States Post Office already. Moreover, nothing elsewhere in this section 16-168 or anywhere in the Title 16 for that matter suggests that the legislator, legislator intended to narrow technical definition of the term voter registration records for purposes of subsection L, F. Voter registration records, there's that S again, is not a defined term in Title 16. Elsewhere in the election statute, the term voter registration records is used interchangeably with more inclusive terms like voter records as shorthand for all the records in the recorder's hands that contain personal identifying information. They reference back Arizona Statute 16153, providing a process for certain public employees to obtain a court order prohibiting public disclosure of personal information. Similarly, page 8 now, a broad definition of voter registration records now makes sense in context of Section 16168. Alternatively, the legislator could have intended a functional definition of voter registration records for the purposes of Section 16-168. Again, there is something defined as the voter registration. And when the voter registration is filed, granted, and assigned, it becomes the record. The fact that they put it with an S changed the entire scope of this. They go on to say, 16-168F requires the recorder to keep confidential those records are in fact used for voter registration purposes. Again, I call to contestment here. They make it sound like they need these to continue to register the voter when in fact the voter registration has been done, ended, and is fait complete until they, by their own will, are removed from the voter rolls. Therefore, the voter registration is not an ongoing purpose, unless you add that plural S on the end, and then you see it becomes a collective, ongoing collection that allows this. That reading of the statute likewise leads to the conclusion that 16-168 presumptively bars public access to the ballot affidavit envelope. As previously noted, the Maricopa County Recorder treats 
Key, the Maricopa County Recorder, treats ballot affidavit envelopes bearing verified voter signatures as part of the voter's permanent registration record. And there it is. This is how they decide to treat it. It is not defined. It is ambiguous. And frankly, it's just their preference. I go on. The recorder uses images of the envelopes along with other records as exemplars for signature verification in subsequent elections. Almost every county recorder in Arizona does the same. Pursuant to the regulations in the Arizona Secretary of State Elections Procedural Manual. In short, the ballot affidavit envelopes are voter registration records in the Arizona election process as it currently exists. As Mr. Richter pointed out in his testimony, the confidentiality requirement of Section 16.168.F protects not only the privacy and security interest of individual voters, but also the integrity of the election its process itself. But I will go back up to that one very telling signature that they can, whatever they want, they can, in fact, agree to this, agree to do it, and they can agree to disclose this with specifics, and it all could be accounted for, except they decided not to do it. As I continue, that reading of the statute likewise leads to the conclusion that Section 16160 presumptively bars public access to the ballot affidavit envelopes. As previously noted, the Maricopa County Recorder treats ballot affidavit envelopes bearing verified voter signatures as part of the voter's permanent registration record. The recorder uses images of the envelopes along with other records as exemplars for signature verification in subsequent elections. Moral of the story here, folks, instead of using the voter registration, which is the exact legal attestment and the legal binding signature, this basically says at any time an envelope comes in, and you know they don't check the signatures, and it drops into the voter registration records, it becomes part of a permanent record, and they can use any one of them to decide if the vote should be kept or tossed, and that allows them to disregard the actual instrument that created all of this, the original historic voter registration. As Mr. Richter pointed out in his testimony, the confidentiality requirement in the section 16168 not only protects not only the privacy and security interests of the individual voters, but the integrity of the election process itself. It does so by keeping the private information the recorder uses to identify each individual voter out of the hands of anyone other than the voter. Now let me ask you a question. If you have the voter registration card and you see the voter's signature, and let's say you have, well, six ballot images in there, affidavits, and two of them are the actual person's signature faithful to the signature on the registration card, but four of them 
are a gobbledygook of trash, now you can you see why they don't want these inspected? It's because if you can get any trash, any bad information in, at any time, even just one time, it corrupts the process, and this is the procedure that would expose it. Continuing on, since the information the recorder maintains for that purpose includes the ballot affidavit envelopes, it follows that the recorder should, and indeed he must, treat the ballot affidavit envelopes as voter registration records that are presumptively unavailable for public inspection. The plaintiff would respond that the Secretary of State and the county recorders have been violating Title 16 by using ballot affidavit envelopes as voter registration records for the signature verification process. You're right. It is a violation. But as the judge says, that issue is not before the case, the court in this case. It requires interpretation of a different statute that addresses a different issue, election administration, and uses different terminology, registration record, that could well mean something different than the statutory language at issue here. Folks, I've always told you this is about words. It is a word game. Let me read that to you again, because this is the truth. If you don't follow these things right, you don't phrase them the right way with the right challenge, you're never going to get it. And this is why words matter. Bottom of page eight, last paragraph. The plaintiff would respond that the Secretary of State and the county recorders have been violating Title 16 by using the ballot affidavit envelopes as voter registration records for the signature verification process. But that issue is not before the court in this case. It requires interpretation of a different statute that addresses a different issue, election administration, and uses different terminology, registration record, that could well mean something different than the statutory language at issue here. Now, folks, do you get the difference between maladministration and fraud? You go after it, fraud, it's different, but this is, simply put, as the judge called out appropriately, this is a maladministration issue, but that's not how the case was filed. I continue. The court will take judicial notice, as requested by the plaintiff, that a declaratory judgment action requesting interpretation of Section 16.550 is pending before Judge Napier, or Napper, in Yavapai County. Judge Napper has denied a motion to dismiss that suit, but that decision and that case will have no bearing on this one unless and until an authoritative final judgment changes what the county recorders actually use as voter registration records, the plural. Until then, 
the present case must be decided on the facts as they now exist, not on hypothetical facts of the word of the of the world the plaintiff would prefer. Page nine application of laws to facts balancing the policy of open access against competing interest. The public record analysis does not end with the application of 16-168F. By the terms of the statute, the voter information non-disclosure mandate does not apply. Any person other than the voter by an authorized government official in the scope of the official's duties for any purposes by any entity designated by the Secretary of State as a voter registration agency pursuant to the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 for signature verification on petitions and candidate filings for election purposes or for news gathering purposes by a person engaged in newspaper, radio, television, or reportorial work or connected with or employed by a newspaper, radio, or television station or pursuant to a court order. In a case that involves persons or circumstances specified in the statute, it is necessary to proceed to the public records balancing test established in Carlson versus Pima County. Here it is also prudent to do so because the public records analysis yields the same result. Denial of Miss Lake's statutory special action petition pursuant to Arizona Public Records Law, ARS Section 39-121, even if Section 16-168F does not apply because the ballot affidavit envelopes are not voter registration records or for some other reason. I know, folks, it's confusing. Continuing with the privacy exception to the public records law, The privacy interest that sometimes weighs against public access encompasses the individual's control of information concerning his or her person. Information is private for the purposes of Arizona public records law if it is intended for or restricted to the use of a particular person or group or class of persons and not freely available to the public. Applying this test... Our Supreme Court held in Scottsdale Unified that public school teachers' birth dates in the school district's employment records are private information. Importantly, for purposes of this case, the court squarely rejected the contention that a person's privacy interest in information is eliminated simply because that information may be available from some other public source. The public availability of birth date does not negate privacy interest. All it means is that there are some temporary or specific situations where we willingly waive that interest. Among those situations, the court observed, is the use of birth dates as proof of age for voter registration records. Scottsdale Unified defeats Miss Lake's argument that voters have no privacy interest in the signatures on the ballot affidavit envelope because signatures are common currency or because the voters waive the expectation of privacy when they place the signed affidavits into the stream of commerce. 
an individual has a privacy interest in his or her signature precisely because the signature serves as a badge of personal identification for legal documents and in commercial transactions. Just like the Scottsdale's teachers who gave their private date of birth information to their public school employer, Maricopa County voters placed their signatures on the ballot affidavit envelopes for the limited, specific purpose of enabling the office of the recorder to verify their votes. It does not follow that they gave up the right to control that private information. As to the broader question of whether voters' privacy interest in the public in the personal identification information held by the Maricopa County Recorder outweighs the public interest in access to public records, the Arizona legislator asked state the Arizona legislator staked the path for this court when it enacted 16-168F. Whether or not Section 16-160F technically applies to ballot affidavit envelopes, the state unequivocally establishes the importance of individual privacy interest in the personal identification information. It also offers clear guidance concerning the specific circumstances in which personal privacy interests might or might not give way to the public interest in disclosure. The courts typically follow this kind of statutory policy lead when applying laws like the public records law that have a public policy component. Now, I'm going to put a pen in this here. You see that the judge is ruling on privacy interest. They are really skirting around the issue because this is not an issue to make them public. As a suit in the election, contesting the election, every measure of security can be put in. That information is not required to leave the report, recorder's office. This can be done in lockstep with the county recorder at his office, and these can be verified in the interest of the public to reinforce their faith in the county recorder or elections. But you see how they're skirting this. There is a simple solution. There is a easy, bipartisan way to do this under observant eyes. Under eyes that do not have to be threatened with their jobs. Do not have fear of reprisal. But it can be observed. And that is exactly what Maricopa County and this judge, by claiming this is a privacy issue, is skirting because the law actually accounts for it in the county clerk's office and the county clerk is the servant of the people and this should be done for the people. I continue. The legislature's guidance makes this straightforward case as a matter of public records law. Section 16-168F puts the personal privacy interest in records containing a voter's signature on par with sensitive personal identification data like social security number, driver's license number, and a mother's maiden name. It indicates that the harms to which the release of that private information would expose the affected individuals, such as identity theft, outweigh the general policy of open access to public records in most circumstances. 
The office of the county recorder therefore acted lawfully and appropriately when it refused the plaintiff's public records request of the ballot affidavit envelopes. Ms. Lake argues that her interest in disclosure of the ballot affidavit envelope carries extra weight under subsection F because she is requesting the records for election purposes. That argument invokes the right provision of the law, but it fails on the facts. Ms. Lake suggests that she needs the records as evidence for the election contest action, but it is far too late for that now that the judgment has been entered against her and the case is on appeal. Do you see how the time factors play in here? Do you see how kicking the ball down the court further gives them another arrow in their quiver to say, but it is far too late now? Continuing, moreover, it appears that Miss Lake did not even argue to the trial court in the election contest that the recorder had erroneously verified any individual ballot through a faulty signature match. And again, this is where I fault the attorneys. This has been known all the way back to the 2020 election with Donald Trump where the court proved and put on record that nine out of ten times the signature verification failed and the attorneys ignored that. And I say the attorneys failed Carrie Lake, failed Maricopa, failed Arizona, and failed the nation by not knowing that fact pushing it, and preparing the right way. Continuing page 11. Instead, she argued that the recorder, in effect, did not perform a signature review at all. That argument failed. Again, folks, I'm sorry I get infuriated. Infuriated. As I sit here. Again, words matter. And the attorneys filed a suit saying that the state failed to perform, that they did not perform a signature review. This is such a low hurdle. All the state has to show is, well, we hired 40 extra people. We have 60 people assigned to it. That negates they failed. Again, you can see how and why I'm upset. It's words that hurt us. They quote, instead, she argued that the recorder, in effect, did not perform a signature review at all. Words matter. They failed an efficient signature review. They failed applying a signature review that could be verified and used authentic information. They failed to do a standard that would even allow the most minimous comparison. And therefore, the results were inadequate to make a decision if the signature was right or not. And therefore, because it was inadequate and it was not of a simple compliance standard, it must be re-looked at 
to see did it even meet any form of compliance or simply was the signature review mal-administered. Top of page 11. Instead, she argued that recorder, in effect, did not perform a signature review at all. That argument failed, and she does not get to start over with a different argument now. Boy, what these attorneys know about wording. The best interest of the state exception to the public records law, by contrast to the individual's privacy interest, the best interest of the state standard speaks broadly to the overall interest of the government and the people. Notice they put government first. The best interest of the state inquiry may account for a particular agency's administrative interest, including consideration of how disclosure would adversely affect the agency's mission. The inquiry also may touch on the broader public impact of the disclosure or non-disclosure. Miss Lake, of course, presses the importance of transparency in the election administration. Invoking the election purposes exception to Section 16-168F says that she, because she was a candidate for governor, her records request is intrinsically linked to the election process. She seeks to verify the integrity of the election process, a core election purpose that goes to the heart of our government. Plaintiff's response opposing Maricopa County's defendant motion to dismiss at 11. Miss Lake regards the electoral process much like the villagers in the famous fable regarded the goose that laid the golden egg, except that her goose failed to lay the egg she expected. This is a judge, folks. How insulting. She insists that something must have gone wrong if she only could cut open the electoral process and examine each of its 1.3 million pieces. She says she would be able to figure out what happened to show the prize has been there waiting for her all along. This paragraph disgusts me. This shows the judge has biased. This admonishment and mocking is ridiculous and does not have a place in a judgment. I continue. And even if she doesn't find what she's looking for, she suggests the act of disassembly will strengthen everyone's confidence that the machinery produces reliable outcomes. We will know it lays the right eggs. This view misses the big picture of democratic self-government. Democratic self-governance by its nature requires counting votes to make sure as best we can that the right egg comes out. But it is about much more than that. At the hearing, one citizen witness who got a visit from election skeptics took a crack at expressing what it means to her. She shared that her father, Second World War veteran, had always instilled in my sister and I the importance, the value of living in this country, of living in a democracy, of having the opportunity and responsibility to vote to believe that our vote counted. I have always believed voting is highly symbolic and reverent act and involves thoughtfulness and in fact privacy. I don't share information about who I voted for. I keep it an important part of my life. I would add to that. She says that 
to believe that our vote counted. I think that's what is heart here, don't you? That many people believe their vote counted. But they also believe that there were many votes in there that should not have been counted. That negated their votes. Final page. Our Constitution and our laws express these fundamental values. No right is more precious in a free country than that of having a voice in the election of those who make the laws under which, as good citizens, we must live. Other rights, even the most basic, are illusionary if the right to vote is undermined. The state of Arizona, therefore, has a compelling interest in the rights of citizens to vote freely for the candidates of their choice and in protecting voters from confusion and undue influence. I don't think anybody's contesting do they have the right to vote freely for who they want. I don't think anybody's contesting do they have the right to choose the candidate of their choice. I believe they are contesting did my vote count exactly the way I cast it and were there other votes allowed in that negated my vote. This is a different issue altogether. I continue. One of the key safeguards of election integrity is the right to keep one's votes private, which originated in the efforts to curb voter intimidation and election fraud in the 19th century, the 1800s, folks. In in, in Burson, the Supreme Court found these interests compelling enough to justify a restricted speech zone around a polling place. A very rare case of a legally permissible limitation on the core of the First Amendment right of political expression. Here, likewise, the broad right of the electoral participation outweighs the narrow interest of those who would continue to pick at the machinery of democracy. The public release of 1.3 million ballot affidavit envelopes signed by Maricopa County and voters would undermine the process of verifying those voters' ballots in future elections. That, folks statement by the judge that if they released it it would undermine the process of verifying the votes for the ballots in the future is a lie because virtually every one of these ballots 97 percent of them to be exact were released in 2021 in regards to the 2020 election this standard has already been set And the 2022 election proved to be the largest turnout of its kind ever. It did nothing to undermine the process. Continuing. It would create a significant risk of widespread voter fraud where none now exist. It would expose voters to harassment and potentially force them to defend the integrity of their own votes. Some number of voters would stop participating entirely out of fear of identity theft or concern about privacy. But those individuals have exactly the same interest in being heard through the electoral process as those who voted for unsuccessful candidates in past elections. Their frustration and disillusionment are every bit as harmful to democratic self-government as the frustration and disillusionment of those who have come to doubt the integrity of the electoral process. The court, therefore, cannot sanction a result which tends to reduce citizen participation in the election process. That is too high a price to pay in a participatory democracy. 
He's citing Huggins versus Navarro County Superior Court. I say we have empirical proof that does not happen because in 2021, 1,928,000 and change of these were released. 97% of those same people statistically voted in 2022, and 2022 was the highest participation ever in a midterm. Judge, you got this one wrong.